Intelligent, sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So the president's doing what he has to do to take care of the American public, which believes in having a secure border, and I'm going to vote with the president. Today I'm proud to announce that I will be very soon signing an executive order requiring colleges and universities to support free speech if they want federal research And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Hey, everybody. I'm back. I'm back in my own chair after a very eventful weekend that or it's actually for me. It wasn't the weekend, really. I went to CPAC last week. I started traveling on Wednesday and I uh, got to go to an industry dinner on Wednesday night. And then I started broadcasting from CPAC on Thursday. So the day really began with for me on, on Thursday. And we also broadcast on Friday. You might have caught that. And then I was back home Friday night because we had a huge snowstorm move through. And um, when it moved through, uh, it definitely dumped a whole bunch of snow on us. And so I was glad to get here before that arrived because I didn't want to get stuck in D.C. So the long and the short of it is that it was our first time broadcasting from CPAC. And I got to see some great people while I was there, including got to uh, touch base with Sandy Rios, who's a morning show host here on American Family Radio. So... Uh, pretty interesting that that was going on. Um, anyway, the the bigger deal that I think is kind of one of the things that we're really looking at um, in the way of of CPAC and all the the fun stuff that we had going on was that we got to speak to some amazing people, hear some really fantastic interviews, and just kind of go back through and and interface with a lot of people that we hadn't gotten a chance to speak with in a very, very long time. If you're watching and you're not sure what's going on with the the camera, neither am I. Okay, there it is again. I'm not sure what's going on with the camera today. Uh, We had to have our internet looked at this morning because we were having some streaming issues. And so I'm hoping that now we don't have some kind of camera issue. But be that as it may, we have a fantastic show for you today. We are going to be speaking to Kimberly Klasik. You know, she's a frequent guest on the program. She's going to join us to talk about current events and other things, important things we have going on. And we're also going to be talking about the U.S. government extending this contract with uh, researchers who are doing, uh, they're doing research on humanized mice. So they're taking human skin cells and, or uh, cells, not skin cells, human cells, and grafting them onto these mice. And then they're doing research. Now, I, I, I support research. I support animal research. But I do not support this kind of thing where they actually take aborted fetal remains and graft those remains onto mice. I don't, I don't support that. And I'm, I'm wondering, because I'm not a, a scientist, uh, you know, I'm, I didn't go to school for science, but it just, it just wonder, makes me wonder how, what other means do we have, what other mechanism can be employed with which to get the same thing done without actually using the remains of aborted babies? There has to be something. So we're going to talk about that story. We'll take your calls, 866-963-2037, 866 963 2037 We're also going to talk about our encouragement today, which is Psalm 3. And I was looking at this uh, Psalm 3, and I was reading in my Bible, and I thought, you know, this is encouraging. Like, I had to, to stay on it for a few days over the weekend and, and so on and so forth to kind of just let it soak in. 
and I thought it would be great to share. And so I want to give this to you now. It's a Psalm of David when he was running from his son, Absalom. And if you remember, David had this thing about having, you know, tons of concubines and tons of wives. And while it was done in the Old Testament, and it was during the time of David, it was common for rulers to have many wives and and concubines. It was not something that God had in store for David. It wasn't God's will for David. It was permissible. It was permitted, but it did not bring good things and blessings to David. In fact, you can say that the things that he went through with his sons and his daughter are directly related to the fact that there were so many moms and so many kids by, you know, it was just such a conglomeration, which facilitated the negative activities that came about. Also his lust for women. He was, he was a powerful man. He was a warrior and he had God's favor, but he had an insatiable lust for gathering women to himself. And it was through that action that he saw Bathsheba, as she was bathing on a, a, in her garden below his rooftop and, de- and decided that she would become one of his wives. So the psalm says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So even in the time where David had made mistakes, he'd sinned, and he knew he was not doing what God wanted him to do, he immediately repented and sought God out so that he could become right with him again. It didn't remove the repercussions, the consequences of his sin, but it was a clear, it's a clear picture for what we're supposed to do when we fall, when we make a mistake, when we sin, when, even when it's intentional and we go into it with our eyes open as he did when he, you know, killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and then tried to cover it up. And, you know, he kind of ran away from it for a while. And then he came to his senses when he was called on the carpet by Nathan. It's the same for us, whether it's another person who calls us on the carpet or it's a conviction in our spirit, we have to go to God and say, I'm sorry, and repent and turn away from the sin. Whatever the repercussions might be, we don't want to be separated from God. He also says in this psalm, um, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. And so for this trip to CPAC, obviously, I hadn't been in a couple of years, and I was expecting... Okay, I'm, I'm having the camera issue again, you guys. I, I was expecting uh, to go there and to kind of bump into some people that perhaps wouldn't be so happy to see me. And there, there, it's a specific couple of people that I thought it might be a problem for me. And so I, I went there thinking, you know, I, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this isn't what happens. But I just prayed and said, you know what, Lord, I got work to do. I'm going here to do the show. I'm going to broadcast And my hope and my prayer is that it would go well and that I would have opportunities to meet new people and that I'd get to see some of the the people that I've known for years but maybe haven't seen in a while. And that's exactly what happened. God answered my prayer. Not only did I not interface with the, the couple of individuals that I thought I might have to, but God laid out a path for me to go there and do the work that I needed to do and interview people and meet people and do all the stuff I had to do and, and spend time with my parents, you know, um, and still, and then come back before the snowstorm hit and all of that 
through his provision. I, I was even able to have, um, it was, you know, different circumstances, but I was even, there were some expenses associated with it that I didn't, that they weren't a part of what I had to pay. And that was, I believe, a blessing from God. That's the only way I can explain it. And I was prepared to pay. <laughs> I was prepared to bite the bullet and pay, but I didn't have to. And so, you know, when something happens like that, you just want to, I just wanted to run up and down um, the first night that, that we arrived and I went up to take my little banner and all that stuff and set everything up in the booth. I just wanted to run up and down there and cartwheel. Yes, I know this is probably unbelievable, but I can still do a cartwheel um, and just cartwheel up and down there. But there were other people there and obviously that would have been inappropriate, but I was just so overjoyed at the way God provided for me to go to CPAC this year and to do uh, what, what I was able to do, which was to broadcast this show there. And, it, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't thank God enough. And I also want to stress to you that if you're, if you're feeling the pressure and you're thinking, how is this going to work out? That's normal. That's natural for us to, you know, be concerned about how things are going to work out, especially when we want to perform and we want to do well. But I encourage you to give those concerns to God and allow him to work. And he will lay out. It's like the Psalm says, he'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Whether your enemies are looking or not, all you're concerned with is that you get to sit at the table and that God prepares it for you. So trust him to do that. Pray over your work or the, whatever the situation is, home situation, kids, you know, husband, wife, family, whatever. Pray over it and then give it to God and let him work. He's so faithful. And I just was so blown away by the way that things worked out last week. And I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to uh, broadcast from other you know, conferences as time and space allow. Um, the next thing you're going to see me doing for broadcast wise is I will be in Tupelo, Mississippi for Sherathon, and I'll be broadcasting from the home of the syndication arm, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And I'll be there with other hosts who are going to be coming into town to broadcast for Sherathon, and I'm looking forward to that. So right now I want to go into, it's just been such an, an interesting um like watching this path. Oh, okay. You know what? Before we go into the, because I have this story, the U.S. government extending the contrast for the mice. It's a contract that they have with a research uh, uh, universities to study these humanized mice and they use aborted organ tissue to do it. And so we have a phone call and we have some time left in this segment so we can definitely get to it. Um, Randy in Missouri. Hey, Randy, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, you know this is this isn't really new. I'm, I I was involved in a uh, protest for cloning um, back in 2000 outside of a place in uh, Palo Alto, California, and uh, they were basically doing the same thing in 2000. And so the the health and human re- uh, the the health and human uh, science HHS there in Washington. DC mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. They've been yeah. funding this kind of thing for years. They have, but I think uh, so the the shock and awe for most of us is that I wasn't aware they were doing it back in 2000, but when the story was broken uh, in the fall of 2018, that was when people started saying, well surely President Trump will put a stop to this. And I don't know, you know, how aware of it he is specifically or what actions he's taken, but I know they were saying that the the funding and the contract were under review and that this would, you know, that's why this is a story is because it's been extended for 90 more days. How are they able to get an extension? And so that's, that's kind of the thing that people are trying to figure out. 
what exactly is going on here that's so important for them to keep doing this? Um, so it's it's a bunch of different leads on this. And thank you for calling the show, Randy. Um, I want to I want to give you the information that we found here. It's a contract for a steady supply of mice that have already been implanted with tissue for aborted babies, and that's the the, the contract that was extended. And so they have 90 days from February. The Department of Health and Human Services is saying that it's the second time in a row they opted for only a 90-day extension instead of a full year. Um, and that's a part of the review process that's going on with the the cells or, or what have you. Um, the contract is with the University of California, San Francisco. It dates back to 2013 and pays over $2 million a year for a supply of about 100 mice a month. 90 of the 100 mice are implanted with human fetal thymus and liver tissue, and the mice are used for testing HIV drugs. HHS launched its review in September in response to media scrutiny of the FDA's contract with Advanced Bioscience Resources, ABR, a nonprofit referred by Senator Chuck Grassley, who's a Republican, to the FBI in 2016 for allegedly selling the body parts of aborted babies. So that's how this whole story cracks up here. You got Senator Chuck Grassley referring ABR to the FBI in 2016 because they were selling the baby body parts. So they're supposed to be working with these, uh, you know, humanized mice. But I guess whatever they had left over, they were selling. And that's not cool. So then HHS terminated the ABR contract, committed to an audit of all acquisitions involving human fetal tissue to ensure conformity with procurement and human fetal tissue research laws and regulations. And that was a statement that was released in September. In addition, HHS initiated a comprehensive review of all research involving fetal tissue to ensure consistency with statutes and regulations governing such research and to ensure the adequacy of procedures and oversight of this research in light of the serious regulatory, moral, and ethical considerations involved. HHS also said it would look into potential alternatives to using fetal tissue. The review is still in process. Now, I found the story at CNS News, also at the Epoch Times, and, you know, the, it, the reporting is consistent. This is under review, but, I mean, I'm wondering why it's taking so long to make the decision uh, morally not to have this kind of research funded by taxpayers. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's repugnant, no matter who's paying for it. All right. We'll be back with more after this. Keep it here. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born pregnancy center, she encounters love and compassion and gets to meet her baby by ultrasound. And I was like, I'm going to go to the abortion clinic. And I already had my mind made up. This mom didn't make it to the abortion clinic. Instead, God led her to a pre-born center. And the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces. And then she's like, it's two. And I'm like, I just start crying. I started texting my friends and like, I can't. The Ministry of Preborn was able to help this mom save not just one life, but two through ultrasounds. Preborn centers help save babies' lives and souls. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Have you ever seen something and said to yourself, wow, that's amazing, but it doesn't make sense? For example, several years ago, there was a major league pitcher who only had one hand. Each time I saw him pitch, although I saw with my own eyes what he did, I was still amazed and baffled. I couldn't believe it. Sometimes things in life just don't add up. There are times God gives us an assignment and it doesn't make sense to us. The conquest of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, verses 16 and 20, give us a classic illustration of this. And it came about that at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now in verse 20, So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, and it came about that when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. It happened just the way God said it was going to happen. It's amazing. There's some lessons from this story that we need to embrace. Number one is that God is not bound by conventional wisdom. Number two, God wants us to respond in faith and obedience. Then thirdly, ultimately, God wants all of the glory. That's why he said, look, I want you to do it this way. The whole issue is your response to me, and I want to be glorified in the outcome. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Not everything God tells us to do makes sense. So don't waste precious time trying to figure out why he has told you to do something. Just do it. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Um, I'm hoping that I have got this camera thing under control now. I had to move some stuff around. I actually think my, um, I have this power, this power supply and I think it's going bad. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm literally trying to like figure this out while we have our short um, sponsor break there. Uh, so welcome back to the show. Uh, we're still taking calls. We are. I'm so glad to be back with you and to have the chance to continue to chat um, and to discuss everything that we have going on, um, especially in, after having that fantastic CPAC. And so um, some of the interesting things that happened at CPAC were obviously um, you might have caught a little bit of Michelle Malkin's speech. You might have seen that there was a big, huge backlash online because she talked about the ghost of John McCain and she was referring to a bunch of the rhinos and people that she feels are obstructing the Trump agenda. And it really it, it drew some really strong rebukes from certain corners. And I, I get it. I, I understand why people feel like, well, he was a war hero. And so you can't you can't say anything bad about him. I don't hold that position not because I don't believe in his heroism or, or what have you. That's not it. I'm, I'm, I have no problem with uh, people saying that he was a, a war prisoner and, and who he was. That's not my issue. My issue is that once a person does something heroic like that, we can't put that person uh, uh, in a place where they're above reproach, where we can't say anything bad about them. Because um, if that's the case, there are plenty of he- people who are heroes I mean, heroes like people who who were snipers, people who killed on behalf of this country, who were warriors. I mean, warrior warriors, people who've killed many, many, many of our enemies. Um, and if they were to do something 
that I didn't like politically or morally or, or whatever, um, I wouldn't say, well, I can't criticize that person because they were a warrior in the U.S. You know, armed forces. That just wouldn't be the way that I would view it. And, and so it doesn't take away from their heroism to criticize them on something else. This is a form of idolatry that we have going on where John McCain was treated as if he were the president of the United States and he laid in state at the Capitol Rotunda. And there was all of this, you know, the, the way that it was, you can't criticize him. You can't say anything bad about him. Actually, we can. So I don't think we should be disrespectful about it. I don't think we should... Um, dishonor the parts of it, you know, we're, we're going to lay out the military service as something that was absolutely, you know, we respect that. But then the rest of it, the time that he served after that as a public servant, he decided to serve as a public servant. I, I A couple uh, weeks ago when I was complaining about that whole backlash over the anti-vaxxer thing, um, some people were posting on my Facebook page, you're a public figure. If people disagree with you, they have a right to, you know, say so publicly. Of course they do. I just don't think I should be personally attacked. Now, you know, again, it's I'm not bringing that up to try to rehash the whole issue, but to make a point that, yes, people who serve publicly are going to receive criticism and disagreement publicly. But does it have to be of the personal nature? I don't think it has to be personal. So, yes, we can criticize the the votes that he took, the way he seemed to have a personal agenda against uh, President Trump. And they did have bad blood between them. And I understand why. But that's not that shouldn't have changed the way he would behave in his actions as an elected official because he was elected to represent the people of Arizona, not to discharge any vendettas he had against President Trump. So it, it's a complex issue. We have to take the time to think about it in a way and to talk about it in a way that does justice to not just the subject, but to the people who are involved. So, yes. We honor the service, but no, it doesn't make him above reproach or incapable of being criticized by us for things that we feel, you know, were, were not according to the Republican Party platform or broken promises. Because if that's the case, just imagine if you were a sociopath, you could go into the military, you could serve honorably, you could, you know, obviously if you get in certain career specialties in the military, it doesn't matter which uh, branch you're in, you're going to go. Um, and you're going to be deployed abroad. And so you get deployed into a war zone and you discharge your duties honorably. And then when you get back to the United States, you just start doing whatever you want to do. You get out of the military, you do whatever you want to do and you do it because you know, well, I'm a war hero. You know, I got the, I got the purple heart or, you know, the, the commendation of, you know, what's such something or other. Now I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can treat people however I want. And no one will be able to criticize me or do anything against me because I served honorably in the military and I was a hero. Is that the, is that the, the new standard we're setting? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. So I, I want to be fair to the memory, but I also want to be accurate in my criticism. And that's, that's where I come from. Because um, if that's the case, then I'm, I, you know, anyone who went in and served in a war zone at all is a hero. Any person who can claim the title of hero is above reproach. You, you're looking at a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people who will now be completely unable to be criticized. And I don't want that to be uh, the, the place in which we find ourselves. So, um, okay, I tried something, didn't work with the camera. So we'll have to try to get some um, help from engineering on that, but probably not during the show. Not sure what we're going to do about that. Um, so 
in addition, because we're going to have our guests with us, but it's going to be a couple more minutes, I think. Um, I was getting um, Devin reported, and now, oh, okay. Okay, she's not coming on at all. Okay, so she's canceled. We're not going to be able to get uh, Kimberly Klaschuk on today. So what I want to do is go into a little bit of what we had for um, this Ohio woman who said she would never vote for a Democrat. So here's here's what's going on. I want to set the stage for you. You have people in Ohio, which was a battleground state that narrowly went for President Trump, that ABC, NBC, CBS, they've had people there uh, for months now kind of taking the temperature of these people. And they meet them in diners. They'll, they'll go anywhere with these people where they can find them. And what they do is they get them on the record as having either voted for uh, Hillary, for someone else, for Bernie, or on the record as having voted for Donald Trump. And then what they do is they kind of follow these people and they ask them again and again based on what's happening in the news. Like President Trump went to Vietnam last week and met with the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and the media is framing it as a failure because he didn't come away with a signed treaty document. Donald Trump is saying, look, I walked away from it because it wasn't the deal that would have benefited our country, but we still have ongoing relationship and there are no rocket tests. There are no new rocket tests going on. So it's still in his mind an improvement upon what was going on during the Obama administration or the Bush administration, because this is an ongoing problem with the own family, the Kim Jongs or whatever they're called. So they're in Ohio and this reporter wants to frame this as being some kind of, you know, really horrible situation for President Trump because the people that he spoke to in his mind they weren't as positive about President Trump as they could be. But I want to know what you think about this. Listen to this audio clip. It's short, it's like a minute, and it's a mashup of this reporter. He he comes on to say, "Look, these are people I spoke to." And then the people that he spoke to, they're they've all been asked, "Did you vote for President Trump? Are you a Democrat?" Some of them are actual Democrats, card-carrying Democrats. They haven't changed their party affiliation, but they voted for Donald Trump last time and they say they're going to vote for him this time. I want you to listen to what they're saying here. And then in your mind, does it sound like it suits the narrative of what this guy, he opened up, his premise was Trump voters are unhappy with him. They're not sure if they're going to vote for him again. It's number two. So over the last two years, in engaging with conversations among President Trump's base, you've constantly heard the idea of witch hunt, essentially echoing the president's sentiments that they're just out to get him. And I want to play with you a little bit of sounds here, and we'll talk on the other side as to what these individuals here in Dayton, Ohio, a place that voted for Donald Trump by just one percentage point in 2016. Take a listen to what some of them told us this morning. Has this eroded your trust in President Trump? No. no I'm a Democrat. Registered Democrat. You voted for President Trump? Yes. You plan to vote for him again in 2020? Yes. After lying to Congress, I wasn't expecting much, and I don't think we got too much. I just think it was a waste of time. He made some big allegations against the president. Did you vote for President Trump? Uh, yes. Does this erode your confidence in him? No, not at all. What would it take for you to vote for a Democrat oh my over goodness. Trump in Never. 2020? Never. Never. Never a Democrat. So he asked them all individually different questions. He even asked about Michael Cohen, which that you heard how short that clip was. Um, and because it, he didn't get the answer he wanted. These people saw right through Michael Cohen. They said he was convicted for lying to Congress, so they weren't expecting much out of him. And that's what they got. Not much. They didn't learn anything new. They didn't hear him say anything that would have changed their minds about President Trump. 
Michael Cohen himself said there was no collusion, that there wasn't anything to do with the Russians, that he, he alleges that the president might have known something about the WikiLeaks release beforehand, but the FBI already has supporting evidence that shows definitively that President Trump found out about the WikiLeaks cables when the public did, actually a couple of days after I did, because I, I remember seeing it early on Twitter. It, it was actually, WikiLeaks was actually teasing the release of the, the cables from, from the DNC and all that stuff. They were teasing that online on Twitter for days before they actually released it. And I remembered watching the tweets uh, as they came out and thinking, boy, this has to be huge because they're hyping it up like it's, you know, the Super Bowl. And it was huge. It was really huge in the favor of anyone who was running against Hillary Clinton or running against the Democratic Party. So, again, this isn't something that um, that we know as something new that there was nothing new in the Cohen testimony. There was nothing in it that made uh, like a bombshell. The Democrats have said over and over again through their media arms that this was, Oh, it was a bombshell. It was explosive. They've used the term explosive so many times that the Washington free beacon made a mashup of them all saying it over and over and over again. So it's a narrative they're pushing out. They want the American people to think of the Cohen testimony as being explosive, but was it? explosive means you're sitting there watching it or you're listening to it on the radio on a live stream and you hear Michael Cohen talking and you literally, you feel like pulling over. You feel like you're, you're like, wait, what did he just say? You stop and take your phone and you move it back a little bit with the, you know, with the high speed scrubbing. So you can hear one more time what he just said, or you go online for the transcript and you go through to that point because you want to see that again in black and white, because it's something you didn't know. It contradicts what you knew. It is a fact that is exculpatory that points to guilt or premeditation or something like that. We're not hearing anything like that in the Cohen testimony. We just hear a man who... He felt like he was owed a spot in the Trump administration in the White House. He wanted to work in the White House. The person he brought in, Lynn Patton, he brought her in way back in the day to the Trump organization. He introduced Lynn Patton to President Trump, who was then, you know, regular guy Trump. They they met, they they discussed her working for the family. She went to work for one of the Trump golf organizations and she was closely aligned with a couple of his children. I believe it was Eric and Lara Trump who they developed a friendship with her. And through that, she just excelled and rose up through the ranks. And, you know, she she worked hard and proved herself. And so she's doing well. And then when it comes time to bring people into the White House, she was brought in, but not so she was in the White House for a little bit, but Lynn Patton ended up going from special advisor to the president, which is what I believe her, she was loosely titled as in the very beginning, to working directly for Ben Carson, Dr. Carson, who's the secretary of HUD. And she is now actually living in a project, a housing project, to prove that they actually want to change the living conditions in those projects. She's committed to living there for, I think, a year so that she can see what the living conditions are like and oversee the improvements. She happens to be black and she happens to also be in the news right now because of this. She appeared at the uh, House Judiciary Panel last week and she was called a token by uh, the, the symbol of oppression wearer. The new congressional progressive anti-Semite called her a token that Mark Meadows had brought her in as a token to be used as a tool to justify racism. And she implied that Mark Meadows was racist for even bringing her in.
it's amazing that through all of this, not only have we not seen any evidence of collusion, but we're seeing more and more and more that the Democrats just love to toss around the same terms that Republicans get fired for. Token, you know, uh, in, Uncle Tom, anything that they can say to a black person to demean them and to make it all about the, the permanent tan. Because remember, the melanin content of our skin plays a role in how quickly we get skin cancer if we have high, a high exposure to the sun. And um, it plays a role in how people react to you based on their own biases, prejudices, or, or you know, preferences. That's it. If you are of any version of the permanent tan or lack of tan, you, you, know, are, you are an untanned individual, naturally untanned, what you actually accomplish in life has zero to do with that. Yes, you can be born into poverty. As a black person, as a white person, as any, any person can be born into poverty. It's what you decide to do as you're coming up through elementary school and grade school. It's who you decide to spend time with. It's the culture you decide to adopt that determines whether or not you are going to succeed. It's the opportunities you choose to, to access. Do you think about Lynn Patton being black and going into the Trump organization? She could have went in there and said, you know, They've given me a chance to work here, but they know I'm going to fail. They know I'm not going to be accepted here. I'm working on a golf course. The majority of people who work here are white. They're not going to accept me. There's no way I'm going to make it doing this. And she could have crashed and burned. Instead, she said, and, and I don't know exactly what she said to herself. I've listened to her in interviews and I've seen her, um, some, some of the things that people have written about her. From what I understand, she saw it as a huge opportunity and she was determined to make it work. And she went the extra mile. She did above and beyond what she was asked to do so that she could rise up. And she made herself a star within the organization. And it was her good attitude and the extra work that she did that enabled her to become not just a, a valued member of the organization, but a personal friend to some members of the Trump family that got her noticed. And then it, it, it made it possible for her to do even more. And so what, what am I saying here? What, what, am I, what point am I trying to make? It, anyone who says because of your po political leanings that you're a token is trying to otherize you. And, and it, they're basically saying you're nothing more than what I can see, which is your skin color. And any person who accepts that, you're, you're allowing the enemy to put you down. So it doesn't matter what the person's saying you're a token because you're white or because you're Indian or whatever. That's a put down that's meant to limit you. She's not accepting it and neither should anyone else. It doesn't matter what tan status you've got. All right, when we get back, we'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. Stay there. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. After graduating from college, quarterback Kurt Warner went undrafted. But Warner never gave up on his dream while he was stocking shelves in a grocery store to make ends meet. He eventually played arena football for the Iowa Barnstormers. By 1999, he was a backup quarterback for the St. Louis Rams. When starting quarterback Trent Green went down with a preseason knee injury, it was up to Warner to lead the team. And lead them he did, all the way to victory at the Super Bowl. Warner possessed uncommon patience and an outspoken faith in God. His patience paid off with the biggest trophy in football and was inducted into the Hall of Fame. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Mickey Addison. My challenge to you was to evangelize your children and to disciple your children and to give them the truth. Because if you don't do that, then we have a culture that's waiting in the wings to disciple your kids and to make converts. And so I really believe and I expect the Lord to really set some people free today. The Marriage, Family and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. What's happening in our cities, what's happening in our government, what's happening in our churches, this mess that's going on in the United States of America, the reason for it, the blame can go squarely on God's people. God's not expecting the heathens of the world to do his work here on earth. That job goes to you and to me. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Donald Trump's America. Success or failure, who you talk to determines how the U.S.-North Korea summit was graded. On Fox News Sunday, National Security Advisor John Bolton says it was constructive, but the conditions weren't right for the president. He's not desperate for a deal, not with North Korea, not with anybody, if it's contrary to American national interest. But on CBS Face the Nation, House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff says the president gave up a lot. By enhancing uh, Kim Jong-un's prestige on the world stage by giving up those uh, military exercises in the last summit uh, and getting nothing for it. Summit number three could be coming. Last week, the U.S. at the U.N. Security Council pledged to support a free and democratic Venezuela. Elliot Abrams told the council, The United States will remain steadfast in our support for the legitimate Guaido government. That is likely to be accompanied by sanctions on nations that have been supportive of embattled Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Gernal Scott. Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks to everyone who's had um, just great things to say about last week. It was truly exciting. I know I had some weird like camera stuff going on on Friday because I was live streaming from my phone. My hope is that I can figure out exactly how to get it done to do the live stream with uh, the, the same camera that we have here to take it along and to do the live stream. Uh, I don't know how that works. <laughs> we'll have to figure that out. But maybe the next time we do um, a broadcast from somewhere, we'll be able to do that. And that would really be great. Um, interesting that my camera is still kind of acting up today. Um, it's a Monday camera, I guess. My cam, my camera's acting like a Democrat today. Um, I made that joke on Facebook and <laughs> people thought that was pretty funny. All right. Um, so we have Debbie in Arizona. Debbie, thank you for calling the show today. Arkansas. You're hey, in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Arkansas. Love your show. It's great. Thank hey, I you. have a question. If, if the lady that uh, worked for the Trump is now working for the Ben Carson, if she's a token, if she works for the Republicans, well, is she to work for the Democrats? What would she have been? Um, I see no she'd just be with, awesome. I she'd be a no leader, somebody they look up to. In their life. That's they, right. That's it's true, right, girl. It's true. It's true. You she, so you make is, a good point. Is a she's a prime example of what 
America people should be. That's just what I want to say. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Um, I, Debbie's right. So let me just uh, clarify here. If Lynn Patton were working for the Democrats, then she would be a leader. She would be someone who was on the cover of magazines. She'd constantly be on all of the radio shows and TV shows. She'd be a fixture over at MSNBC, and she would have an assurance that when she left you know, the Trump administration or wherever she was working as a Democrat, then she would be immediately hired on by CNN or someplace and she would have, a, you know, a job in perpetuity and she would always be popular. And the reason that we know that is because that's the way they treat everyone else when they leave government. Um, let's go to Mary in Kansas. Hey, Mary, thank you for calling the show today. Thank you. Uh, my question is, I believe I heard it correctly on uh, focal point just prior to your show. Mm -hmm. I thought Brian said that last year President Trump had done an executive order to stop that grant given to the uh, universities due to study on the mice. And if that's true, how does it keep going on? And plus, they're, they're no better than trafficking children because all they're doing is the Democrat are wanting to kill the babies so they can turn around and take the baby parts and make money off of it to these people in these universities doing study with our children's parts where he said a brain was worth $22,000. Mm -hmm. Every time I think of that, I, I'm just sick. And it needs to stop. And I still say some of the bad weather we're having, it's not what President Trump's doing. It's what the Democrats, the non-Christians are doing. And we're losing some of the hedge protection from God because mm. of all this evil that we're doing. And I thank you for what you try to do to help us stay on the right road. And uh, God bless you. Thank oh, you. thanks, Mary. Thank you. Thank you for calling the show. So I, first of all, Mary's hitting on the head there, you know, and, and we don't like hearing it. Just like, just, just think for a second, you know, cause we're, we're God's children. Do your kids ever like to hear you say, you know, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And I asked you three times and you just didn't do it. And so, you know, Friday night, you're just not going out with your friends or you can't have your friends over to do your game night because, you know, you you didn't obey me and you it was repeated. And, and I, I got to teach you a lesson or you're not driving the car on Monday because you were late to school on Friday. And you, the rule at our house is you got to be on time if you're going to drive yourself. So you're not going to drive on Monday. And on Tuesday, when you get the car back, you better get your buns to school on time. Do, do kids ever say, wow, thank you for telling me that, mom. You know, I was late and I, 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 I was uh, just, you know, I stayed up late last night playing, you know, gaming in my room and, and I should have been in bed and you even called up and said, what's your light still doing on? And I, I kind of ignored you. And I just, I don't deserve the car on Monday or I don't deserve to have my friends over. You asked me to, you know, you asked me to do my chores, clean up my stuff. I didn't do it. I just didn't feel like doing it. I didn't want to listen to you. I didn't do it. I deserve this. I mean, please, if you got kids like that, by all means, you should trumpet them and, you know, give them public pats on the back. Most kids just look at you and they may know you're right. They may even say you're right, mom, but they're not happy that they're not going to have the car on Monday or, or whatever the punishment is. No, nobody likes to receive a reproof. And we are the same way here in America. We I mean, I've, I've even said it among God fearing Christians. I have said, well, you know, maybe part of the reason why we keep seeing all these school shootings is because we've taken the Bible out of school and we've taken God out of the public eye. And, you know, these kids, they're, a lot of them have never been set foot in a church. They just don't know right from wrong. And I mean, in their hearts, they know right from wrong, but you know, the human heart is depraved and, and wicked and we need, we need a savior, but we also need to continually be reminded, thus saith the Lord. And you know, it really upsets people when you say that, when you say, you know, we got, 
companies doing multiple millions of dollars in business a year trafficking human baby body parts and we're wondering why the kids are shooting up the schools, people get mad. People get upset with you. People people give you that look and then they'll tell other people, oh, she's she's a crazy fundamentalist because she's, you know, she's she's she believes that the school shootings are somehow connected to abortion. And, you know, I don't know if I'm right. I, I have I have no definitive like I can't say this scripture says if you do this with baby parts, you're going to get this in your schools. That's not how God's work. You know, his word doesn't often just definitively speak to us in our own modern language about things that we're doing other than the specifics of the Ten Commandments. But are you telling me that, you know, just like I said about the kids, when the kids want um, when the kids want to do something wrong, they're going to go ahead and do it. And then when you call them on it, they're not going to be immediately just so open to receiving their punishment. And it's the same thing with us. And so I am not saying that there's there's only the one sin and is the reason for the other thing. But as Mary pointed out, she's pointing out the weather and the catastrophic results of the weather and that God's hand of mercy, you know, he does it. That is the way it works. The Bible shows us over and over again in the Old Testament and God speaks specifically to it in the New Testament that his favor is not, yeah, it's unmerited favor, but it's not unconditional. It's not like we can expect it if we're just, you know, he, he calls it whoring around with the other nations and worshiping other gods. If we do that, if we adopt the culture of other nations and we step away from what God has, he's blessed us and he's told us, look, this is what you have. This is what I'm giving to you out of my hand. This is my hand of blessing that I have placed over you. This is the hedge of protection that you enjoy. These are the things that you can walk in. This is the promise that I have made with you, the covenant that I give to you. When we say, you know what, God, thanks, but that covenant, it's just not good enough for me. I need to also be, you know, involved in selling human body parts and making abortion the law of the land. Then absolutely God's going to let us do what we're going to do. We are not Stepford wives or automatons. He's going to let us have our free will. That is the way he made us. He wants a decision-based relationship with us where we choose him. We choose to have a relationship with him. We choose to grow in him and we choose to serve him individually, which amounts to a nation serving God, or we can serve other gods. We can go our own way. We can thumb our nose at him. We can put him in the backseat. We can put him in a box and hide him. His light's still going to shine. The word's still going to go out. He's still going to draw all men unto him, those who he has preordained and predestinated to come to him. But we're going to get back what we've sown. We are not able to change the promises of God, the laws of the way he's made everything to work together and what he said he's going to do. He's not a man. He doesn't lie. It's not a part of his nature to lie or to you know, switch it up a little bit or maybe do it this way for some people in that way. No, that's not who he is. And so, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to find ourselves going, you know what, Lord? Yes, we need, we deserve this bad weather. Yes, we, we're not going to be, that's not the attitude we're going to take. But we also can't be ignorant and act like he hasn't told us when you do this, this is what you will receive in return. When you ignore my word, you will be in sin. And sin, once it is full grown, brings death. We can't get away from that. Hiding it, running from it, ignoring it, we can't escape it.
Just like you don't want to escape the laws that talk about how if you follow after God, if you chase him with all of your heart, if you put him first, that he will take care of everything else. It, it, you don't want to get away from the Psalm, Psalm uh, 20, 23 that says when when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be with you. And that at some point after you've been obedient and you've done all that you could for him, he's going to pre prepare a table in the presence of your enemies where all of your enemies can see it people who put you down, the people who tried to stop you from doing what God had for you, the people who literally try to destroy you or destroy your family, that they'll be able to see you partaking of God's blessings. The other parts of his word that say his blessings will chase you down and overtake you and you will be literally surrounded by his grace and walking in his goodness and his mercy. And it will be so overwhelming and outstanding and just outsized and better than you can dare ask or think that you won't even be able to thank him enough. You won't be able to tell people enough about what he's done for you. You want to change that? Well, you can't. You can't change that. You can't change the good things and you can't change the bad. It's all true and it is all absolutely going to happen the way he says it's going to happen no matter what. So we, we have the choice. The choice lies with us. And I, so one of the callers mentioned the uh, executive order, and I don't remember exactly the details on that. So at this next break, I'll definitely look it up and see if I can find it and read it to you, the executive order about um, the human body parts going to the mice and all of that stuff. I'll definitely do that. Um, but in the meantime, you know, yes, we need executive order. But have you noticed how our president is now being placed in the position by Congress where he has to do executive orders instead of Congress legislating and doing what they need to do? Meanwhile, we have Congress actually making the decision that they're going to um, vote against the national declaration, the, the, the declaration of a national emergency that the president enacted because he wants to be able to secure the southern border. We have enough of these defectors in both houses um, of Congress to be able to make it possible for them to vote this thing through. And of course, the president's going to veto it. And of course, they don't have two thirds majority to be able to to override his veto. But what is the message that they're saying to us? Forget about what they're telling the president, because I, I, I have a theory about what's going on with that. I actually think that a lot of the Democrats who have Trump derangement syndrome, I was thinking about this today. I had, I, of course, I'm, I'm on this trip and I had just had such an adventure, y'all. I should write like a, a mini online book about all the adventures I had. I slipped down four steps at home the morning that I was leaving for the airport, got to the airport in just in the nick of time because I was running late because I drove myself. And absolutely, the lady was like, your, your bag is tagged late. She put a big orange late tag on it and was like, She's, it might not make it to its destination on your plane. You might have to wait for it. I just prayed. I was like, Lord, please let my bag get on the plane. All the adventures I had, I also dropped my phone and cracked the screen. And so I had to try to go do that this morning. And on the way back from there, coming here to, to do the show, coming back home, I was thinking about why people are so deranged about Donald Trump. And I, I genuinely feel like it is a combination of things, obviously, but that it's primarily that the Democrats, for the first time in, in modern history, saw their process fail them. And what they saw was a process that was rigged for Hillary Clinton. And for the first time in, a, in a, quite a while, they had a candidate that they were not inspired by, that wasn't inspirational, that they actually hated. Sure, there were a lot of people who supported Hillary, but not nearly the majority. And the ones who didn't like her, they have displaced that anger towards the Clintons because uh, they're untouchable, displaced anger that should have gone to President Obama, who didn't help them in their process. They've displaced it onto President Trump. 
and their anger towards him is partially because he won and vanquished their in their their person as the enemy, but it's also because he's the last person they would have wanted because he is insanely popular with his base and he's very common sense and he's successful. And it's just that combination, that weird combination that comes together to form President Trump and the way he vanquished Hillary, the way he talked to her, the way he disrespected her, which was, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. It just, it was just fantastic. And then you couple that together with the fact that they lost what they felt was a winnable race had they not had Hillary. They feel like if they'd had Bernie, they would have won. And that's what's driving this visceral hatred and anger. They don't want to see their policies and everything they accomplished under hope and change Obama dismantled. But more than that, it's that they feel they were robbed, but it wasn't by Republicans. Republicans didn't rob them. Democrats did. And I really think that's what's going on. It's, it's like... It's one thing if you're in a battle for something and the other person wins and they, they just totally robbed you, they vanquished you, they ate your lunch, whatever the little euphemism you want to use. But it's another thing if you lose something because one of your own, like one of your own family members, you know, worked you over or robbed you or took something from you that if you, they hadn't taken it from you, you would have won. You, do you see the difference there? In one case, you can hate the person who beat you but it's going to it's going to pass. You're going to be like, you know, at some point you're just going to get on with your life. But if it's your own family or your own side or someone you work with on your own team that robs you, you want to stay angry at them forever. It's harder to get over. And so they're displacing that from Donald Trump on from from Hillary Clinton onto Donald Trump. That's why it's not going away. That's why they can't let it go. It's weird. I know it's it's like that's my theory. Anyway, um, we're going to talk some more when we get back. So listen, if you're leaving us now. God bless you from the heartland citizens until tomorrow. If you're sticking around, you got one news dot com news and information up next. <laughs>